it is a serious issue. Mm -hmm. I think it's not just up to one person. Mm. Everyone needs to know about this, realize what's really going on. You know, you don't need to be a scientist to deal. Even in Fiji, you ask any local people, you know, village, mm. they'll tell you climate change is real. Kia ora. Welcome to Humans at Work. I'm Jules, your host. Thanks for joining me and our latest guest. And thanks for taking some time in your day to indulge your curiosity about other people and their humanness. If your thirst is unquenched after this, check out humansatwork.org. Now let's begin. Today it's a little bit different. I'm on location in the beautiful Fiji and so we have a couple of videos, a portable microphone, we're sitting in a yoga studio at the Jean-Michel Cousteau Resort on Vanua Levu in Fiji and hopefully we don't get any noise from revelers having fun or boats going past but if we do well we're in Fiji so there you go. So it's a little bit different today because I'm in person with the person that I am interviewing for the podcast and as you know most of the time we are doing it virtually because it's people all around the world and I don't often go to get to go and visit them but today I'm super lucky and uh, Johnny and I are sitting here across from each other a little bit warm um, but we're having fun so here we go Johnny would you please tell us who you are and where you work well I'm Johnny Singh and currently I work as a marine biologist at John Michel Cousteau Resort in Samsung, Vanuatu, Fiji. And can you tell us, did you grow up in Fiji or did you land here because of the coral? Actually, I did grow up in Fiji, not in Vanuatu, in Suva, which is in Viti Levu, the capital of uh, Fiji. Uh, that's where I grew up pretty much. Went to school, high school, and then graduated, came back and just joined John Michel Cousteau. So how long have you worked here at this resort? I've been here for almost like 13 years now. Wow, okay. Yeah. And what is it that keeps you here? Uh, I guess it's my nature. I mean, I'm a very nature-oriented person. Okay, it was there from the very beginning when I was growing up. My house was near a beach all the time, so my, and my dad used to go surfing, swimming, snorkeling. And from there, my passion just built up. And going in the 1980s, being a marine biologist was a cool thing for everyone. <laughs> So pretty much I pursued my career towards that. And like I said, I went to high school, went to University of the South Pacific, which is our original university. I graduated there and then I managed to get a scholarship. And I went to Australia to do my postgrad at James Cook University. And after graduating, I came back and then this was advertised and applied for it. And surprisingly, I was the first local to get the position before it was all held by Americans. Wow. So That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So how many marine biologists are here at the resort? Right now, there's two of us, my sister and myself. Okay. And what would you um, say is a normal day for you? Normal day would be just waking up, having a cup of coffee, then checking emails, what's going on, having a staff meeting, you know, and then see what the plan is for the day and just follow the plans, the activities, that's it. So I know that at the resort you have a real focus on education. So there's a kids club where mm. kids can learn about um, the biodiversity, they can learn about the coral and they can graduate, they can get a certificate. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. So there is a lot of physical elements to the resort as well, but one of the elements is educational. We do try to educate the resort guests about Fiji's culture and nature as well. So we do have a school under the sea program, which is targeting kids between six to 12 year old. So pretty much, we have standard programs as well, but this is very specific. So when the parent or the families come in, 
and the parents and they want the children to be part of this program they actually fill up a form it's like a registration actual registration form and they tell us about a bit more about the kids what they're interested in and they get a curriculum which is a seven-day curriculum pretty much okay there's optional activities and there's compulsory activities so compulsory ones needs to be done in order to graduate and once they've done that they've done all the activities with the marine biologist then we have a graduation night okay where they graduate if they graduate they get a cool graduation t-shirt and a certificate as well so is this about making marine biology cool again that's the whole idea i want to get them inspired and motivated by the ocean i mean back home they won't get a chance like this but here we actually want to motivate them get out there the more marine biologists the better i think to be honest you know they get to look at the oceans because back home they're always on their phones probably on tv and i bet you must have noticed that in our resort here we don't have any tvs there and that's a good thing because it, we are trying to engage them go out there live the live the life, life of the 1980s kids like we when we grew up in the 1980s we had the freedom to do everything we didn't care about the consequences just go out if you get help fine survive it so we want to get that thing motivation going on about nature go out there explore you know and what is it do you think about kids that makes it so much fun to teach right because they're oh, just fascinated aren't for they? them David? it's like every time i go take them out there i bring something and all the e oh, oh, what's going on take it away from me what is that you know it's this reaction that is memorable and you know i said come come just have a look and it's that spark they have they, they want to know okay what is it right okay it's gonna hurt me now it's not gonna help me okay fine and they start playing with it and they get more connected with it that's the whole idea you want to get that tiny spark light up and once the spark is there it just takes off so you mentioned that there are physical aspects to the resort as well as educational mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about those well the physical aspects what i mean is like the structures of the design of the all the boards it's very sustainable design up here okay we're trying to minimize our impact on nature as well now the boards have air conditioning in them okay it's because of the design of the boards itself uh, we have organic gardening happening we have a number of restoration projects like mangrove restoration project co-restoration project we also have our tridecanite clam, tri clam nursery over there as well. We do reef monitoring work as well up here. Okay. And I try to get the guests engaged as much as I can mm -hmm. in both cultural issues or environmental issues as well through our activities. So the uh, the actual the sustainability of the buildings is really interesting because obviously we're staying here mm -hmm. um, and so there are no there's no glass on the windows it's no. mesh with um, with blinds mm -hmm. um, there's the, the tall ceilings with the fans and no air conditioning right. and it's actually really cool inside mm -hmm. isn't it yeah it's because if you look at back the Fijians traditionally used to live in this kind of burris it was a natural cooling system but sadly well Unfortunately, as more raw materials became available, like concrete, cement, and galvanized roofings, which are relatively cheaper, less labor intensive, and they tend to last a bit longer, you know, people have been turning towards that as well. Mm -hmm. So by maintaining this design, the resort is actually preserving that art from dying down in Fijian culture. Mm -hmm. It's human nature. If you don't use it, you lose it. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, because it's all the materials are around on the island, mm -hmm. if you have damage through the cyclone, you can just repair it, right? You Most don't have to wait. It's easily, yeah. All the all the timber you see, all the stretchings you see, they're all fine naturally up here, grow. And when they get old, we can use it again in the mm -hmm. gardens somehow, one or the other. Mm -hmm. So everything gets recycled. Nothing goes to waste. Mm -hmm. Everything gets recycled. And do you find that your guests from, because people come here from all around the world, do they appreciate that? I think they are getting appreciated of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Now climate change is a big thing in the world, okay? mm -hmm. and people want to go to places where the people actually put emphasis on nature as well, preserving mm -hmm. as much as they can.
So they appreciate the works we have done up here. I mean, with the Kusto name, mm-hmm. remember this is the only resort in the world that has a Kusto name. Mm-hmm. And with the Kusto name, there are strong environmental mandates that have to be met. Mm-hmm. And people appreciate what we're doing right now, preserving Fijian culture, the environment, all working together for us. Yeah. Do you find then that most people come because they want to experience that? They want to see what can be done. They want to learn more. It's one of the things they want to see as well, along with you know other other aspects as well, like luxury living, you know. And yeah, they want to see all this nature being preserved. And nowadays, if you go anywhere in the world, nature has been going through a lot of things right now, especially with the climate change, the frequency and the intensity of cyclones in the Pacific has increased. There's a lot of changes going on. And people want to see what we are doing as locals to actually, you know, adapt to that. How are you adapting? Okay, and these kind of things we're doing up here is incredible. It shows that what we are, we're committed. Tell me about what you see happening with the coral and the reef and the biodiversity over the last few years. So I've been here for almost 13 years, okay? And one of the things I get to witness is the impacts of climate change on the coral reefs. I mean, and I've seen a significant amount of damage done in the oceans. Like for me personally, I think 2010, anything before 2010 was quite amazing up here, spectacular. But then over that period until now, because of the frequency and the intensity of cycles have been going very, very high, I've been seeing a lot of damage as well. But there's also rebound as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, So it is a serious issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's not just up to one person. Mm. Everyone needs to know about this, realize what's really going on. You know, you don't need to be a scientist to deal. Even in Fiji, you ask any local people, in a village, mm. they'll tell you climate change is real mm. and it's happening. And so what are they doing? How are they dealing with that? Because this is the, how they live their lives and it's really personal and everyday, right? It, it's mm-hmm. changing the weather patterns, it's changing how wet it is, mm. it's changing how things grow. Oh, uh, well now they're actually building more stronger houses than anyone. I bet you find some of the strongest houses in Fiji after the cycles we've been through, okay? People are uh, doing more farming, to be honest, mm-hmm. okay? And they're learning the importance of soil fertility as well. Mm. The soil fertility is that even the UN says maybe in the five in the next 10, 15 years, food could be a huge issue, shortage mm-hmm. of food all over the place. So people are actually learning new farming techniques, you know, trying to improve their soil quality. They're doing a lot of things up here, mm. literally. Mm. And what about fishing? Because in other parts of the world, overfishing has become mm. a real problem. Is that is that the same in Fiji? In some parts of Fiji there is, but now people are aware of the importance of what's going on with overfishing. So in Fiji, marine tenantship is very unique from any other country. But here, it is the local people who have the traditional say. Mm-hmm. They are the traditional owners of the resources, and everything has gone through there. And now most of these people, most of these villages, are getting together and establishing marine protected areas. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the best ways to protect coastal fisheries. Mm-hmm. Okay? And it really works. Marine protected areas works, and it's nothing new in the Fijian culture. The concept was always there in the form of tambu areas. So when someone high-ranking dies in the village, mm-hmm. the villagers close a section of the reef for a couple of months because they knew if you close it, fish will come back. Mm-hmm. But ironically, they would then go back there and fish it out for the huge fish to honor the chiefs mm-hmm. passing away. But now they've taken the concept and they keep it for a longer term. And they know if you keep it for a longer term, there will be some seepage into the non-protected areas and people are getting to fish there. Mm-hmm. So their fisheries become more sustainable. You know? So how do you think um, Fijians feel about tourism as being one of the biggest, if not the biggest, um, sources of income for the country and the balance between over-tourism. You know, you get too many people 
coming out snorkeling or mm. using boats or using the resources i mean i think those things can be controlled it's really just need to rotate the whole thing mm. you know like if taking people in overcrowded area just rotate the sites every now and then so you don't put too much impact on one particular site okay so they're aware they're getting more ed educated more aware of these things you know how they control it they're getting aware of those things yeah mm. and going back to you and the sea mm -hmm. um, the marine environment uh -huh. um, tell me a little bit about what you love about the sea ah it's like I said I grew up near a beach all the time so everything about it is uh, I like it it's the only place I feel alive and especially when I scuba dive, I can hear my own breathing I can say oh, okay I'm alive I can hear my own breathing it's just everything the ocean the the feel of it, you know, with the critters there. And it's just, when you're in there, it's, you know, that you have that zero gravity feeling as well. So it's, it's liberating. It's very, you know, meditative, let's put it that way, personally. And what would you say is your favorite creature in the sea? Oh, actually, there's a tough one. Because I love all of them. I can't discriminate each of their own adapted traits. But if I get to pick, one, I'll go for the octopus, most oh, likely. Okay, uh, interesting. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, octopus, they've been on this planet for almost 300 million years, far older than dinosaurs. They're very intelligent. They have half a billion neurons in their body. Most of it, two-thirds of the neurons are located in their hands, so pretty much they have like nine brains, literally. I mean, cool creature has three hearts, blue blood. What else is there to know? You know? And each arms work independently as the other. You know, amazing masses of camouflage. They can learn easily, but they said they only live for a couple of years. That's it. Which it's all great. that. It's all that brain activity. Yes, they have to. I imagine they live for more. Well, most average octopus, like the octopus vulgaris, they live for two, uh, two years. That's it. But they can learn so much in the two years. Now imagine they live for 10, 15 years. Yeah, there you go. You get a cracker in their hands right there. They'll know everything how to figure it out. Wow, I didn't actually know all that about octo octopus oh, octopi. There you go. Let's get octopus octopi. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and what about coral um, and sort of coral bleaching and coral farming? You know, coral farming has become a bit of a buzzword in terms of regeneration. Is mm -hmm. that something that you do here? Yes, it's part of what we do have a coral regeneration program. So basically, from the last bleaching head we had was in 2006, and we haven't had any from 2010 until this year because of the cycles we've been having. Because the cyclones, they use the heat from the water mm -hmm. to fuel themselves. So, in a way, we don't have any bleaching. But this year, according to NOAA, mm. Fiji was in level 2 alert for coral bleaching. It was happening. We could see it. It was a lot worse for shallow water reef systems. Okay, you can see them bleaching. It killed, I think for us, it killed almost like 60% of the corals. It's the shallow water ones, which are vulnerable, mm. naturally. But the deep water corals were literally fine. Okay. So, and there's a lot that survived from the bleaching event. So, those are the corals were actually taking mm. fragments of and growing them on groves because they're more heat resistant and once they come to a decent size where you can transplant them we do that on a site and we want it over time mm. so that's the whole process and how long does that process take uh growing mm. to a site where you can transplant them give them six months the ones you're planting the acroporans they're very fast growing mm -hmm. within one year they have a 12 centimeter cubicle growth so that's a decent growth mm. literally cubically so we can take those species and just plant them up with the heat-resistant species, are there some fish that prefer those or not? Or do they just want diversity in the they coral? They prefer diversity, to be honest. But mm. some fish, they really don't care what species they are. As long as the coral is their home for them to hide, they'll just go for it. 
literally. And have you seen um, stocks of certain fish dying away or becoming less obvious or, you know, hiding away in different places because of hotter water or yes, less Yes, especially coral? with large predatory fish like the groupers and the snappers. Okay, during the warmer time, you couldn't see any of schools that they prefer cooler waters which are rich in nutrients and oxygen for them to breathe in, easier for them. The tropical species are okay, they can tolerate those temperatures, but not the larger predatory fish, the ones that people actually eat. So they will migrate as well. Mm. And now, right now, we actually have a ban on the harvesting of groupers as well, and snap seven groupers. So from June till October, there is a national ban on harvesting them. So if anyone is caught with them, there's a hefty fine. So all the things is helping them come back, literally. And that's tied in, I suppose, with the insecurity around food production. At the same time as well, yes. If there's no groupers, eating fish, uh, mm. or you can't, uh, they're not big enough to eat, mm -hmm. and you can't produce your, your food on the land, mm -hmm. um, then you're stuck. Exactly, totally. So tell me a little bit uh, about the weather, because we were talking earlier off mm. camera about what you have experienced and, and in terms of the seasons. Well, we're in Fiji, there's like the tropical Fijian winter and the Fijian summer, okay? It doesn't make much difference to foreigners, but it's not much for us local. One or two degrees change is equivalent to 10 degrees change, okay? So we call it Fijian summer and Fijian winter. So from June, from April to November, that's our Fijian winter, okay, which is supposed to be hardly any rain and supposed to be cooler months, means cool southeast, trade winds keeps blowing in. But this year I've noticed, I can even feel it, not just me, the locals with everyone with Ted Rocks, and they'll tell you. It's getting warmer and a lot more wetter. There's the peers like somehow it's not nature driving the climate change, it's climate change driving the nature now. Mm. Okay? And it's pushing more of a El Nino conditions, you know, La Nina conditions to be at more. So causing more rain, more wet seasons. I mean, you can see from here, you know, all this rainy season for this time of year, very unusual. I mean, for me, I personally like warm winters because I'm in the water all the time. Okay. And when you come out of the water, it's getting a bit cool. And that's the only time I get sick, which is sadness, nothing else. So this time it's warmer. I'm like, okay, at least something came good out of climate change. Maybe it's helping me with my work. I don't know, but so, overall, yeah, it's changing. The weather's changing. And I tell people, give it five years. From now, 2023, give it another five years. If I'm not here, mark my word. This is going to get warmer and warmer. It's going to get a lot better. Pretty soon, we'll only have one season, tropical season. Mm. It's going to be wet, tropical, a cycle going on. That's it. What do you feel is, the impact, is going to be the impact of that? Oh, one of the things I think will happen, especially with the, when it comes to ocean, with the fish, most of there might be a polar migration, which will start migrating towards the cooler water, which means we will start losing our fish stocks. Mm. Okay, because they start migrating towards cooler water, that's something going to be huge. It will affect our fish stocks. Major fisheries industries like tuna industry and all that, this will be affected as well. That in turn has a dominant effect on the economies. So, mm. yeah, it's all going to change. Mm. And would you say that um, there is enough recognition, not just from the Fijian government, but uh, governments across the world about the impact of that, particularly on, on island nations, but actually just on the planet generally? The word is there about what's happening out there. People know what's going on there, but there's a lack of action. You know, People in high positions, they're not using their power properly. They need to take more in charge of the whole thing. I mean, we... Uh, Personally, for me, it's frustrating to see that when I go out there in the ocean, I've seen it at its best, and now these changes are happening. I'm just a witness. I can't do much. 
Mm. And it frustrates me, you know, like we are here trying to preach about the environment, but we only can do that so much. That's it. But people in power have so much power to do to change it if they can. Mm. But the question is, why are they not doing it? Economics comes in. Mm. You know? The question is, what is more important? The environment or the economics. We can live without the economics, mm. but the environment we need it. It sustains us in multiple ways. Mm. You know, so. And what would you say to people who are thinking about getting into marine biology now? What are they going to experience? Okay, marine biology is a competitive market. Okay, when I was growing up, it was a pretty cool thing, but it is very competitive. If you're expecting a high salary job, that might not even happen. Okay, most people graduate with a marine science degree end up as an intern or do a contemporary job before they get a permanent one. And even if you get a permanent one, uh, do, don't have too much expectations with salary because you'll just have to deal with it. There could be longer hours. You have to work long hours. Okay, if you, if you can do that, that's fine. Uh, but it is a cool thing, to be honest. Like, if you get a job like I did, I'm very proud. I, don't, I beg my boss every year, come on, give me my contract. Give me to it. I'll do anything. If you don't bring my wages, don't bring it. I don't care. I just want to be there. This is great. You know, I do everything up here. Education, conservation, advocacy, you know. And it just keeps me going, you know. In a way, it keeps me healthy in a way. I love it. So one of the key aspects of the Fijian culture is the skill of storytelling. Mm. Um, and so you've obviously got it, um, mm. you know. Uh, so tell me a little bit about why storytelling is so important in the Fijian culture. Because in the Fijian culture, there is no written text, literally. Mm. Even in the olden times, everything was passed on traditions, culture, everything was done verbally, either verbally or through traditional dances all the time. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, that's how we pass it, literally. What makes a good story? What makes a good story? If you have a good experience, then it will make a good story, personally, I think. Me, I share my story with everyone about the ocean and you know, what I've seen up there. So people like that. Like, what are your experiences? What have you gone through? Those are the ones that make the best story. And, you know, be fun in there, humor, all those things add up, the whole thing, yeah, literally. Great. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's been fascinating. And I can't wait to come along to one of your presentations or come snorkeling with you and you can show me things that... Oh, I would love to. I would love to. Maybe that's, maybe that's our date for tomorrow. Definitely. See, see through the eyes of a marine biologist. Absolutely. Thank Perfect. you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks, as always, to the generosity of our delightful guests. The stories of how others have faced up to their challenges can help give all of us courage to keep going with our own. For more great episodes, blogs, learning packages, go to the humansatwork.org website.